Amen, amen. Hey, right now, do me a favor. Just give God praise wherever you are. Just begin to give him a little bit of a clap of praise. Say his name. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing in my life. Thank you for the blessings that I'm experiencing in this season. And maybe you're saying, hey, I'm not really experiencing a lot of blessings, and I want to encourage you. Say, Jesus, give me your perspective this morning. Give me your perspective this morning. Hey, if you're watching with somebody, give them a high five. Maybe you haven't, you, you woke up this morning, maybe it's the afternoon that you're watching and you haven't really spoken to anybody, but there's somebody in the house. Just shout right now. Say, Jesus, wherever you are right now, just shout at them. Shut them down. Scare them to death by shouting the name Jesus. Uh, again, welcome to Victory at Home. It's so incredible to be with you today. And if you've been following along with us, Again, let me just kind of give you a quick update. We are still in phase one as a church where we are recording from the school where we meet, but we have not been able to yet open up the doors to everybody, but hopefully you're really enjoying. Uh, I saw some people talk, talk about last week, how it was just cool to see people back on stage. And so that's just kind of a cool atmosphere to be able to bring this into your homes, onto your iPhones. And so again, if you have been with us over the past couple of weeks, what we've been doing is we've just kind of been following the life of Paul. And we've been talking through the idea of us having a calling and how our calling, we can kind of see the process of Paul's calling and begin to uh, compare that to our calling in our life. And so we've learned a couple things so far. We've learned that like Paul, we are called to chaos. Uh, We learned that. We also learned that like Paul, when it comes to our calling, our calling is going to have peaks and it's going to have pits. And then, of course, last week we learned that when it comes to our calling, we have to keep at it. Am I right? Keep at it at it. And so, so we're, we're still with Paul today, and I thought it would actually be fun to kind of go backwards to before Paul was Paul, and Paul's name was Saul. It was before he had had an experience with God. And, and there's, there's an idea that I want to bring out to you this morning. Um, and so we're going to read from the book of Acts chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, we'll start reading at verse 1. We'll read to about verse 6. And then we'll jump back and forth and and teach from this particular deal. So again, Acts chapter 9, here we go. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I love that. Especially after what we talked about last week and Paul saying, hey, you know, I I was this, but I am this. And this Bible, this scripture right here is letting us know that God's using Saul. Meanwhile, he is having these murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. It says, he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, now the way was, was the men and women that were following Jesus. That was kind of the name of, of that following, right, of that movement. So anybody that he found who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. All right, now you ready? I want you to get ready. If you're watching online, I want you to comment the title of the message. If you're with somebody, push them, shake them, tell them the title. If you're in here with me today, get ready to tell your neighbor the title. Here we go. You ready? Say, I've misplaced my passion. I've misplaced my passion. Darla and I were uh, kind of newly married, just a couple of years married, and we didn't have kids yet. 
And if you know my wife, you know that when she, when she becomes passionate about something, she, she dives into it like full force. I mean, she is completely committed to it no matter what it is. And we were just married for a couple of years. And she had, I don't, I don't quite remember how she came to the revelation of this. Uh, I think we had visited SeaWorld before and different things. But she came to me and she said, babe, I, I think that I need to move to Orlando, Florida and go through the training to become someone who works with whales. Exactly, right? Like you can imagine that moment because, because not only am I having to take all of that in, um, but I'm also having to process the fact that we're newly married and she's gonna move away from me for months to go into training because she has just seen the beauty of this concept of, of trainers working with whales and all, and she was just, she was blown away by it. And so she was like, I, I just think I'm supposed to do this. And, you know, me being the supportive husband that I am, right, that and the fact that I'm kind of scared of her, I was like, you know, well, just you, you go do it. You just, you, you go do it. I supported her, said look into it a little bit more, figure out how much it's going to cost us. And, and thankfully for me, um, she did a little bit more research and watched a couple documentaries and found out that that's not really what she wanted to invest her time into. But, but for a minute, for a moment, she really thought that that was possibly her calling, and, and I'm thankful because she would have misplaced her passion, right? And it was actually interesting. Last week when we got done with the service, I was walking towards the back and I was taking off my microphone and I was handing it to Travis. And we were just kind of talking for a moment about grace and about the idea of, of the way Paul's illustrating that you are both sanctified and saved by God, but you're also trying to battle the fact that you have this sin nature. And we were just talking about grace and and so I started giving him a little bit of a, a, a behind-the-scenes look into this week. And I said, you know, what really blows my mind is that, you know, Paul was persecuting Christians and da-da-da-da. And we were talking about it. And out of nowhere, he said this. And, and it blew my mind. He said, you know, what was crazy was Paul thought that was his calling. Paul thought that was his calling. And I think that you and I, a lot of times, what we can do is we can get caught up into something that we think is our calling. And we start to move in that direction, and we're passionate about it, and we do all kinds of research about it, and we give all of our time to it and our heart to it, and literally, we are committed to it. But the problem is that it might not be our calling. And the more that I watch Paul in Acts 9, and I watch him operating in this concept of persecuting those who belong to the way, the more I realize Paul actually thought that was his calling. And the point that I really want to bring around today that I think if Paul could tell us anything after looking back at that and then now looking where he is today, he would say this. Number one is don't misplace your passion. Don't, don't misplace your passion. I think especially in the year 2020, right? Everybody's passionate about something right now. And I think that one of the things we have to be very careful of in this time is to not misplace our passion. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. And I don't want to show you again. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats, right? So he is like passionate about persecuting these people who belong to the way. So much, watch this. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue. So not only is he passionate about doing it, he went to the higher up leadership and got approval to do it, right? He went to the town hall meeting and was like, hey, listen, listen, I want permission to be able to do this. 
And he says that he went on to find anyone who belonged to the way. He was busting in house meetings, right? He, he, all these like interest parties and little church plants, he was busting in the doors. And if he found people that belonged to the way, if he found people who were Christ followers, he was snatching them up and he was arresting them and he was bringing them before the authorities. Listen, here's what I believe about Paul. Paul never struggled with passion, right? Paul, Paul had passion. If there was anything Paul had, it was passion. Whether he was under house arrest, in chains, telling people about the gospel, or whether he was busting down front doors to arrest people who were following Jesus, Paul had passion. His problem, Jeff, wasn't passion. His problem was placement. You know, it's funny, when, when we first kind of moved back into the school and started recording, our first Sunday where we recorded in the school, for, for those of you that don't know, and, and Jeff and Bree can really attest to this, when we were recording in their house, I had about a, I don't know, 12-inch uh, radius that I could move in. You know, Bree would say, hey, look, you can go left like that. And you can go right like that, but don't do anything else. And so, you know, I was like, I was kind of just, again, I was secluded into this area. And so I remember the first Sunday that we got to record in here, I had all this space back. And so I was all doing, you know, my, my, all my movements again. And I started getting all these text messages from people and they were going, man, you know, it was so cool seeing you back in the school, seeing you back, you know, you were passionate again and we could see it in your passion. And the truth is this, like, I've never struggled with passion. Like Paul, I've always been a passionate person. My problem sometimes has been placement, right? Like, Like passion has never been my problem, but sometimes it's been placement. Last week, if you listen to the message, you heard me talk about how Darla and I at one point were pastoring fifth and sixth graders. And I'll never forget this. It was actually our first or my first Sunday to preach to them. So, so we had been, you know, we had been serving another leader in that area and then that leader transitioned out and we took over and it was the first Sunday that it was my job to preach to fifth and sixth graders. And it was about, I don't know, 22, 23 fifth and sixth graders, right? So you can imagine and we're in this building, and this building had these like carpeted steps, and, and that was like the altar is what we would call that, right? That was the time where kids would come and pray. And so the only time I had seen anybody preach was my youth pastor or the head pastor of the church. And so I took what I knew from them, and I put together my message, and I got up and I preached, and hear me, for 45 minutes, I preached to a group of fifth and sixth graders. And I mean, I was vain in the neck, right, sweat, just, come on, I was preaching. Listen to me. If there were 20 kids there, 18 of them were asleep by the time I was done. I mean, all, there were kids laying on the carpeted steps, you know what I mean? Like, like, not like in their seat, like nodding off. They were comfortable. They had, made, they had been asleep for like 30 minutes, right? They were, they were already in the dream cycle. They were gone, you know? I, never, I mean, they were just out. And I was still, and I mean, you can hear the kids snoring over me preaching, you know what I mean? There's like one faithful kid in the back who's like, I'm with you, Pastor. I'm with you, Pastor. You know, like it was just terrible. And the service got done, and we left, we got in the car, and Darla looked over at me, and she said, don't ever do that again. And, I, and, and she was right, right? But here's the deal. My passion was, my passion was right, but my placement was wrong, Right? 
I mean, there was nothing wrong with my passion. That just wasn't quite the place for my passion. And I've actually, the more that I read with this thought in mind, the more I see people in the Bible who are called by God constantly acting with the right passion in the wrong place. So, so again, let's talk about Saul. Saul is persecuting Christians with this incredible passion, but it's in the wrong place, right? And then we could go on from that. Uh, there was this one time where Moses saw a Hebrew man, um, or saw, sorry, an Egyptian man bullying and beating up on a Hebrew man. And so Moses ran over there and beat up the Egyptian man and killed him. And so his passion against bullying was right, but the way he operated was wrong, right? There's another time Moses is walking uh, or, or traveling with the, the people of God, and he goes up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And while he's there, Aaron, his protege, uh, starts to become passionate, ready to worship God, but he doesn't know where Moses is. And so what he does is he forms this calf, and he leads all the people butt naked, worshiping calves right outside. Like the passion was right. He was passionate, but the placement was wrong. There's, I, matter of fact, there's, I don't know that there's anybody more uh, guilty of this concept than Peter, right? Think about Peter. Like remember that time Jesus finds out, or Jesus starts to not find out, Jesus starts to communicate that he's gonna um, you know, be crucified, and, and then Peter jumps in front of him and says, no, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And Peter's passion for Jesus was right, but his placement was wrong. It's another time when Jesus was in the garden and these men came to arrest Jesus and Peter jumps in front of Jesus and pulls out his sword and cuts the guy's ear off. Jesus comes over and picks the ear up and puts the ear back on because, again, Peter's passion was right, but his placement was wrong. And, and the challenge that I want to give us today that I really want us to think through is that is it possible that in 2020, right now, is it possible that our passion is right, but that some of our placement is wrong? You know, is our passion God-given? Like, like, we should be passionate about things. But is it possible that some of us have misplaced our passion? Again, in Acts 9, while, uh, I'm sorry, Paul is on the road to Damascus and he's going to, to start persecuting more Christians, he has this interaction with God and watch what happens. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. So, so, so here's this moment where Paul is actually moving forward, believing that he is in his calling. He is going to Damascus to persecute followers of Jesus, believing that he is in his calling. And all of a sudden, here comes this voice saying, hey, you're persecuting me. So watch this. Paul goes from believing what he is doing is actually for God only to find out that what he's doing is actually against God. Meaning that you and I could be so passionate about something and yet misplace it so that what we're doing we actually think is helping God or for God or for the kingdom of God only to find out that it's actually going against God. Right? You know, uh, when I was a youth pastor, 
I got invited by a friend of mine to go and preach a week-long youth camp in a place called Jamestown. And now Jamestown is, is very small, and um, I ended up taking my worship team with me. And so, Jamal, you were there. Remember this? And we, we go to Jamestown, and I, I got to be able to set this. The, the whole, we, we, we have like um, cabins and things that we're staying in, but the whole services are happening in like an outside pavilion. I'll never forget this. And so we get there, and one of the guys on my worship team, the, the, the piano player, has tattoos all down his arm, and he has earrings. And so the first night we get there, you know, I think Jamal had earrings at the time. And so, um, and of course, you've, you know, many people had tattoos. I have tattoos. So, so, so we're out there, and, and we're doing the first service. And that night for the service, all the kids are there. It was probably, what, 100 kids maybe? All the kids are there, and all the kids' parents come as well. So we're having this service, and man, you know, we're going through it. We're just going after God. It's an incredible service. We have a great time. And my friend comes up to me after the service and says, hey, here's the deal. Um, some of the parents are, 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 you know, a little concerned with the fact that, you know, your worship team has tattoos and they have earrings and doesn't really like that they're jumping up and down and all that kind of stuff. And so I said, hey, you know, I get it. And we're from Memphis. This is Jamestown. Those are two totally different kinds of places. Um, I said, and I don't want to do anything that's going to stop the move of God, you know, here at this camp. So let me see what I could do. So I, I pull our band together, and I said, hey, one of the guys' name was Michael. I said, hey, Michael, why don't you get some long sleeves and put on long sleeves, and let's just take out the earrings for now. And then, you know, Jamal, do the best you can. Like, don't jump. You can jump a little bit, but, but don't jump really high. You know, if you want to run around, run in place. You know what I mean? Don't, don't run across the stage. Like, I was trying to tone it down a little bit. And so the next night, you know, we, we did the best we could, and, and we, we, we honestly did feel like, man, something's just off but, but we were there, we were there for God, and so we did all we could. And so then next day goes, and the next day, and, and almost every day there was something that we didn't do correctly, right? And so we were like, well, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out. And on the last day of the camp, the last night that we would be preaching during that day, we went to what they were calling an award ceremony. And we didn't know what that was, but we were there to support. And so we go in and we're watching the award ceremony and they're giving out awards to the kids for the week. So they did different things and they get to this like last award. Because you know, if you watch any award ceremony, it's always the last award that's like the best award. And so they get to this last award and we're all kind of sitting back in the back of the cafeteria area, just kind of listening. And they go, all right, the, you know, the last award is the most spiritual award. And we're all like, What? Like, who, who, who earns the most spiritual award, right? Like, you know, here's Paul saying, I'm the worst of sinners. Please show me who earns the most spiritual award. So we, after we snickered a little bit, we just kind of sit there and watch. And they, they introduced this guy. And he's one of the guys that was at the camp. And he had done some human videos and different things. And, and they brought him down. And they gave him the award. And they celebrated him. And we were just kind of back there going, all right, okay. We, we see where their passion is, right? Um, and so the, the last night comes, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not saying you should ever do this, um, I'm not saying I was in the right, but I grabbed the band and I said, hey, look, this is our last night, we're never coming back here, they can't kick us out, you know what I mean? So let's just give it all we got, let's just go after God and see what happens. And so we have this service, you know, the, the band... The whole worship band just, just goes crazy. It's an incredible move of worship. I get up and I preached my heart out in a message that was called the dark room. And the idea was that our sins develop in the dark room. And when you bring them out to light, that's when God can give it. And I just preached my heart. I had, I had my passion, right? And I was just preaching and preaching and preaching. And God moved so powerfully. 
that we had a three-hour-long altar call. In case you don't know what an altar call is, it's just, just this time for people to pray. And people are praying everywhere. And one of the agreements we made with the group was that we wouldn't do the praying, that we would let the youth leaders and the parents pray because they knew the kids and we didn't. So we would just set it up and then we would go, we would, often we would go and pray all by ourselves. And so I'll never forget, I went to like the back of the little, uh, I don't know, pavilion and I was just looking out and I'm praying, I'm praying. And, and before you knew it, it had been hours. And one, one of my leaders came up to me and we started talking about it. And there was this group of people in the front of the altar that had been there for hours. They had not moved. And I said, what's going on? They said, man, we don't know. Said, it seems like one of the kids is just really, really having this moment with God. And so I kind of went to one of, the, one of my other leaders that I brought, and I said, do you know what's going on? They said, yeah, man, one of the kids, he's, he's just, he's admitting he's, he's been addicted to pornography. And, he's, and he just, because we had put this cross out, and you could write your secret sins, and you could put them on the cross, almost like a post-it note, and then you could pray for them. And it was just this incredible move of God. And so I'm sitting in the pew. I'm just thanking God under my breath. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now about three hours goes by or however long it had been, and, and one by one, people start getting up. And all of a sudden, the kid that they had been praying for this entire time stood up, and it was the kid that had won the most spiritual award. And I had that moment where I'm like, okay, they had misplaced their passion, right? They were so passionate about celebrating whatever it is they were celebrating that they had missed the fact that God was wanting to do something. And watch this, the entire time what they thought they were doing for God was actually working against God. See what I mean? And sometimes we get in a situation where we think this is our calling or we think our passion should be here. And in reality, we've misplaced our passion. And the very thing that we're doing that we think, along with our tradition, along with our religious mindset, along with the way that we accept approval, we believe that we're doing something for God when in reality, we're doing something that's resisting what God's wanting to actually do. And so I think it's important for us to learn how to pivot our passion. Look at the person beside you say, I'm pivoting my passion. If you are a Friends fan, say, pivot, pivot. How many of y'all, how many of y'all are Friends fans? Anybody? All right, I, I don't have many with me. So if you're watching online and you're a Friends fan, just give me the pivot. Just, just kind of leave, you know, oh, 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 pivot, pivot your passion. Say it, say, I'm pivoting my passion. I, I think once we realize that we have misplaced our passion, then we can do what we need to do to be able to put our passion in its place, right? If you realize that you have misplaced your passion, then you can turn around and use your energy to make sure to put your passion now in its place. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. And it's a couple of verses later. We'll start at verse 19. This has slowly become some of my favorite scripture as I've been studying this recently. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And now remember, Paul has had, or Saul has, has had this conversion. He has experienced God. He's been changed. And it says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues. So remember, he was going into the synagogues and snatching Christ followers out and bringing them to trial. This time it says he's going in to preach into the synagogues, that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, watch this, it's so powerful. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Wasn't he that same guy? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? 
Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled at the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Watch what happened. These people say, wait a minute. Isn't that guy who's so passionate right now about Jesus? Isn't that guy who is preaching about Jesus? Wasn't he just the same guy who was here to persecute Jesus? Wasn't he the same guy who brought those people here so they could experience persecution? You see the transition there? You know this kind of conversation if you can remember what it was like the moment you became a Christ follower. Do you have those moments when you became a Christ follower and people go, isn't she the girl that was, isn't he the guy, remember, isn't he the guy that did, isn't she the girl that did, weren't they the ones who were passionate about this and now all of a sudden they're passionate about this? We have a hard time with this, Right? Because what's happened is pre-Christ, sometimes even with Christ, we've misplaced our passion. And it's important for us to be able to put our passion back in its place. So watch this. You ready? Pay attention. So here's what they're saying in Acts 9. Same Paul, same passion, different placement. Same Paul, same passion, different placement. Wasn't, it, wasn't that the guy that was so passionate about persecuting anybody who followed Jesus? Yes. And now he's really passionate about preaching the name of Jesus? Yes. Because you can be the same Jeff with the same passion, just different placement. The secret to passion is its placement. Your passion is God-given, CJ. But whatever you're passionate about, that, that ability to get fired up about something, that ability where the little vein in your neck starts to show, that's a God-given gift of passion. But it's your responsibility to steward where you put it. Because if you put it in the wrong place, it ends up fighting against the movement of God instead of fighting for it. Right? Right? I felt, I got this statement this week, and it's kind of what really put me on the road of this message, and it was this, my passion needs a place, right? My, my, my passion has to have a place. Your passion has to have a place. I've seen a pastor do an illustration before where he lit a candle and talked about how the flame has a place, and if it doesn't have a place, it would set everything on fire, right? So it makes sense, like our passion has to have a place. And then I started thinking about this. Y'all go with me for a moment. I'm 35 years old. I'll be 36 um, next Saturday. So I'm, that's a little, little cheap plug there in case you want to send me a gift to my house, uh, money, whatever it might be. But I'll, I'll be 36. And so, some people are watching that right now going, you're a baby. And some people are watching that right now going, wow, you're so old. You should die in any day now, right? Like, that's how my kids talk. Um, but I thought about this. In 36 years of my life, I have seen people put their passion in some weird places, right? Like, I'll give you some examples. Um, I'm from Memphis, where I was born and raised. And in Memphis, there's this individual that people really like, and his name is Elvis, okay? 
And people are like big Elvis fans. And, and you know, Elvis was, I don't, I don't know if he was born in Memphis, but that's where he lived and, and that's where he died. And so you can go to like Elvis's mansion. It's funny because most people who live in Memphis have never been to Graceland, right? Like we don't go, like who cares about that? But, but people will like, like spend weeks of vacation and thousands of dollars to come and visit the place that this man lived. And so you could go to Elvis Presley Boulevard and you could see his house and you could see his plane. And I, I will remember one time somebody took me to this thing called Elvis Week. And it was like this whole week of celebrating Elvis. And there was this hotel that had like decorated its entire thing. And there was like little Elvis dolls. And I just remember walking around, people were dressed as Elvis, you know, and they had sideburns and all this like bejeweled costumes. And I'm like, that's just a weird place to put your passion, right? It's just it's just weird. That's just my thought. It's just weird. And then I started dating Darla, and Darla was uh, going to Auburn College. And so if you're an Auburn Tiger fan or an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, there's a huge like competition there. And, and so I went to an, an Auburn game one time, and the Auburn game was over, and Darla said, come on, we need to go to Toomer's Corner. And I was like, well, what's Toomer's Corner? And so we get to this corner, and there's these big trees and what happens is after every home win, the Auburn Tiger fans go and they toilet paper the entire corner. So they just put rolls and rolls of toilet paper in the trees. One, literally, I'm looking up, one guy was climbing up the light pole that was in the street. Like he had a roll of toilet paper and he was just climbing up the light pole, right? I'm like, that's just weird. And then I found out that an Alabama Crimson Tide fan actually poisoned those two trees and ended up going to jail for it, right? Like, that, that's just passion in the wrong place. That's just a weird place to put passion. It's just, I'm just finding out, people, sometimes people put passion in weird places. You know what I mean? It just, it happens. Like, and I know some of you, like, you're Tiger fans and your Tennessee Vol fans. I'll get off sports for a minute. Recently, my wife wanted me to start watching Harry Potter, and I have never seen Harry Potter. I've never seen Lord of the Rings. Uh, what's the other one? There's another one I feel like. I've seen a couple of the Star Wars. Right now, people are just leaving the church. Right now, they're just, they're just, they're just, right now, they're just leaving right now. How could I ever follow a pastor that hasn't seen Lord of the Rings? It's got Lord in the title. Like, uh, no. Um, sorry. And so, I, I, and so Darla's like, hey, we need to watch Harry Potter. And I was like, sure, I'll do it because I love you. And again, as I said before, I'm scared of you. And so she, she, we have some friends in the church that have the movie, and they bring it by our house last weekend, and the, the girl had to come in with a bag because it's 10 movies. It's 10 movies. Who watches 10 movies? You know? And so she brings it, and she started, she's like, this is part one. Part, they're all two and a half hours long apiece. Like, I, that's, like, that's like 30 hours of my life. You know what I'm talking about? So it's been a week. And we have made it through one and a half of the movies. I'm excited. But, but there are people who, who are so passionate about those movies. You know what I mean? They've got their own wand, and they're, they're making up butterbeer. And, like, they, they, you know, it's just they are, they're so excited. They're passionate about Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, right? I've got a friend, Dallas, who literally looks at me wrong because I've never seen love. People put their passion in the wrong place. It's just weird, right? It's just weird. And listen, let me, let me go ahead, because I know, I know I've created enemies over the past minute and a half. 
And I, you know, it's easy to do when you don't have many people in the building, you can just be honest. And so, um, but I still need them to come back one day. And so, let me, let me just be able to say this. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to be passionate about something. I'm, I'm passionate about weird things. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's okay. It's okay to have passion for weird things. What I'm saying is the danger of us getting to a place where we are more passionate about those things than we are about Jesus. Right? When, when, when all we can be excited about or, or angry about are these things, but yet we lose our passion for God. And I think that if we're not careful, we can misplace our passion. And then watch this. Then we end up what I call positioning our passion. And here's what I think is the danger of that. Because I told you before that I really had this statement that our passion has to have a place. And I believed that. And, I, and before I finished this sermon, I would have told you that's your tweetable moment. Your passion has to have a place. Go find, that would have been my altar call. Go put your passion in its place. Put your passion in its place. But then the more I studied that, the more I realized that's, I think that's the problem. Is that we've been taught to put our passion in a place when we're supposed to put our passion in a person. And when we put our passion in a place, listen to me, when we, put our, when we learn to put our passion in a place, it's normal to put our passion to a day, to place our passion in a building, and to assign our passion to an hour, right? Can, can, can y'all help me bring that prop up real quick? I want to be able to show y'all this, this for a second. Because, again, I, I've been studying for a sermon series that we're going to do in a couple weeks that I just think is going to be so, so powerful. And before I started studying for this, I was really, really committed to the concept of your passion needs a place. I was so excited to preach that to y'all. Your passion needs a place. But, but, but then I started reading this, and I started kind of putting these two and two things together. Thank you, guys. Y'all look so good carrying that pink tent. Here we go. And I realized, I realized that the secret is not putting our passion in a place. It's putting our passion in a person. Watch this. All right. So to, to understand what I'm saying, we got to go to First Chronicles. All right. We got to go to the Old Testament. Got to go to before Jesus was born, all right? So so 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 5. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to give you the backstory. It says, I have not dwelt. This is is God talking. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. God says, I have not dwelt in a house. I have not. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. All right, so let me give you the context. As, as God's chosen people are traveling through the wilderness, they had a system set up where no matter where they were, they could set up a tent and the presence of God would fill the tent. Okay? See, I said I went from one tent site to the other, from one dwelling place to the other. Here's what that meant. That meant that the Israelites could be traveling and they would take the tent with them. And if they went from that place to this place, and they decided that, hey, we're going to stop here, they could just set up the tent, and the presence of God would fill this place. See what I'm saying? So it wasn't that God was over here. When we were here, God was here. But now we've moved over here, and God fills his presence here. Now, what? okay, now now I got to go to Wednesday, but if I take the tent with me, when I stop, God's presence fills the tent. 
What this meant, what the scripture was telling you was that God was not restricted to a place. It's wherever they went. They set up the tent. God's presence filled the tent. They could be outside. They could be inside. It could be Monday. It could be Thursday. It, it didn't matter. It could be vacation or not vacation. It didn't matter. Wherever they set up the tent, the presence of God filled the place. And then, watch this, and I'm going to talk more about this later. But then David says, oh, man, I've got this mansion that I'm in, and it's beautiful, and the presence of God only has this little rundown tent. We should build it a place. We need to build God this extravagant temple with, with, with the most and the best, and it should be a place where God, and God says, don't do that. Because the common thing around then was that they would build a place for every idol. And they knew that if you were going to worship this idol, you went to this place. But once you left that place, you left that God. See what I mean? So God said, listen, I have been mobile with you this entire time. Do not build a temple and put me in that temple and restrict me to a day. Don't restrict me to a time. Don't restrict me to a building. My presence is supposed to be wherever you are. And the second that we can restrict the presence of God to a place, then we can now restrict our passion to a place. That, my friends, is the problem. Watch this. We have misplaced our passion. Our passion was never supposed to be placed. It was supposed to be in Christ. And the second that I can restrict God to 9.30 on Sunday mornings at 3301 Rock Springs Road, the moment that I can restrict the presence of God to a place, then the moment the devil can restrict my passion to a place. And I can come in here on Sunday mornings and be passionate. And I can walk out and lose every bit of it. Help me. I've missed placed my passion. I'm sorry. I thought, I thought it was my calling. The only thing God ever wanted was all of us. The only thing God ever wanted was to be with us at every moment. He wanted to be with you at work and he wanted to be with you at school. He wanted to be with you in a relationship, and he wanted to be with you when you weren't in the relationship. He wanted to be with you when you were in the hospital. He wanted to be with you when you weren't in the hospital. All God ever wanted was to be able to be with you at all times. But think about it. When the churches shut down, people went crazy. How are we going to worship God? God says, exactly my point. I was never restricted to that building and nor should be your passion. And I just felt moved and I want to pray for you that maybe it's possible that our problem isn't trying to put our passion in its place. Maybe we need to start over. Maybe we need a fresh start. Maybe we need to tear down some of the idols. Maybe we need to be able to allow God's presence to be wherever he wants to be and whenever he wants to be.
And if I can allow the Spirit of God to get out of that place, then maybe my passion can go as well. What would it look like to be passionate about God on Monday? What would it be like to be passionate about God on Saturday? Not just Sunday. Same pole, same passion, different place. Same Troy, same passion, different place. Father, I thank you right now. Thank you for your presence. I thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. I thank you that you're not restricted to a building, that you're not restricted to a time, you're not restricted to a day. I'm praying for somebody right now they'd get their passion back. That they would replace their passion. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can't be excited about other things. But if right now you're finding yourself more passionate about something than you are about God, it's time to read place your passion. I don't want to be passionate about the things that God can do. I want to be passionate about God. I don't want to be passionate about the benefits of Christianity. I want to be passionate about being a Christian. I want to be passionate about Jesus. Father, I pray right now that every place that this message is in for just a few moments would become a place that's passionate about your presence. Come on, just begin to close your eyes for a moment. Push the coffee table aside. Do whatever it is you have to do to be able to just for a few moments make wherever you are that place become a place where the presence of God can feel. Make it a dwelling place. The Bible said that he would go from dwelling place to dwelling place. Listen to me. This building is a dwelling place. We've made it a dwelling place for the past three years. That's what it is. But the presence of God is not restricted to this dwelling place. He's following you. While you follow him, your living room right now can become a dwelling place. Your car right now can become a dwelling place. Your bedroom right now can become a dwelling place. If you would just take a moment, just a few moments, and you would replace that passion. All that passion you've had over the past couple of months 
just for a moment, place it on the presence of God and make the place that you are a dwelling place. 